Hello everyone and welcome back to ROMcast. I'm your host Ryan Dodge and this week we're sitting with 2D designer for exhibitions Emilio Genovese. Emilio, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Today we're going to talk about a lot of things. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, your background, your work history. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the really cool stuff that uh, you and, and some others in your area have, have brought to the ROM over the last few years. Um, but, uh, you know, we're going to talk about design thinking. But let's, um, you know, like, how do you, how do you get into design? Did you, was it something that you were into as, as a little kid or, or, you know, how did that come about? I didn't know that graphic design exists as a profession. I just was, you're aware of it, like anything else when you're sort of exposed mm -hmm. to the world that we live in. Yeah. So I know when I was a kid, I used to draw a lot and I used to do, especially in high school, I would do a lot of like typography drawing and mm -hmm. illustrating letters and logos and things for my band and friends and things like that. Yeah. So I would do a lot of that, but I didn't know that that was a thing to do um, until, you know, just after high school, I realized that there is some design careers and one of them I was considering was industrial design. Okay. But then I sort of uh, leaped into sort of uh, the graphic design aspect of things because it seemed a little bit more interesting and dynamic. Right. Yeah. So you sought out uh, design <laughs> programs after high school. And yeah. Then, yeah. And then, um, I mean, you've been at the ROM for what, over 15, year, 15 years yeah. thereabouts now. So, I mean, was it, it was your first career coming out of coming It was out pretty of much, yeah. yeah. I, I uh, went, I did, I was a production artist for maybe about six months at a design studio downtown. And then this opportunity came up, which was really like very rare. Mm -hmm. And it's not something you're taught in, in design school, like exhibition design or working within a museum specifically. So I kind of winged it and figured I might as well apply and see what happens. And you know, lo and behold, I got a small contract for a few months and then that got extended and extended. And you know, 15 years later, here I am. There you go. Yeah. Um, I mean, so 2D design, like let's just let's just break it down because mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there, there's 3D design. There's, you know, what 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 is your day to day like? What do you spend your days doing? Um, so when I'm assigned a project, specifically exhibitions, um, I start by well, we have meetings with our with our team, which includes a curator, interpretive planners, project managers, 3D designers. Some of the times, some of the time, I do that as well. I, mm -hmm. I sort of wear both hats. Um, and we start thinking about what the project is about, um, learning what the topic sort of is is referencing, and um, kind of res and then I start to research about what that really is and what that looks like, and sort of doing comparable exp uh, uh, research on what other people have done on that topic. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, I start researching the meat of the material, and then I start trying to sort of think about what that looks like using color. Uh, composition, typography is a very big thing. I spend usually <coughs> a lot of time looking at type and sort of as a way to sort of communicate sort of the the idea of that exhibition. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, possible if I know it's a, 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 an image heavy exhibition, I'll start thinking about how we use images within the space. And then 
collaborating with the curator and the 3D designer, we think about how all that information sort of lays out as somebody goes through the exhibition. Right. So we start thinking about the logistics and, and pacing of material. So it's, uh, I mean, so obviously it's it's not the way, I mean, you know, it's not the way that people flow through an exhibition in terms of like we put a wall here and there and that sort of thing. It's more like it's the subtle stuff that people really don't, you know, that doesn't really pop out at them at first, but if they think deeper about the overall mm-hmm. exhibition experience, you know, the color on the wall in certain places or, you know, yeah, the ty- the topography. Cool. Really interesting. I mean, um, there's a big buzzword lace, uh, recently in, in museums and, and uh, you know, you see lots of workshops on it and, and things like that as design thinking. So, yeah. I mean, can you explain a little bit about what that is for our listeners that may not uh, know? And... Um, you know, I'm assuming that you guys have been using this type of thinking for a while and uh, how you're trying to apply that to different areas of the museum. Well, actually, we haven't been using it for a while. No, it's okay. relatively new. I've been sort of looking into it and how we can sort of incorporate it here mm-hmm. in a museum setting. But uh, design thinking has been around for decades, and I don't, I don't think it was called design thinking originally. I forget who came up with the, the, the process of it. But... Um, there's an industrial design firm called IDEO that sort of branded it as design thinking and sort of pushing it out as part of their, their main method of doing work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then since that, it's sort of caught on for, for a lot of places where like businesses are starting to use it, um, and not even just to, so- to solve design problems, but to design to solve um, business problems and mm-hmm. um, like problems that how a person or a customer sort of interacts with a business. So it's, it's really these intangible things that people are using. But essentially what design thinking is, is it's looking at the, it's user-centric problem solving. So it's, okay. it's creating a solution that serves the person you're designing it for. Right. Um, so it's basically doing a lot of research of watching, observing, interviewing, meeting other people that you are sort of targeting for your specific problem or you're trying to help. And then it's coming up with as many ideas as possible. Like the more ideas with more people in the room, the better it is. And then eventually you kind of converge those ideas into one or two that are you think are really feasible. And then it's coming up with some ideas of it or prototyping some ideas and then refining the ideas and continuing to iterate, iterate, iterate. So right. it's, it's a process that's really based on users solving the problems using the users versus, you know, just coming up with a solution, assuming that people will like it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, for, for years and years and years, that's, that's what we did. We just, we built exhibitions, we, mm-hmm. we produced content, we, you know, came up with a lecture series thinking people would would enjoy it mm-hmm. or, or engage with it and then you know really try to push that those ideas on people and that's over the last few years has flipped a little bit hopefully mm-hmm. um, I see lots of museums that are uh, that are starting to work in this way um, one of the things that uh, you guys have done uh, I guess it's been I don't know three or four years now um, uh, when when Ron beta started mm-hmm. I remember you guys have had had it out in multiple spaces around the museum but um, maybe just tell everyone what ROM beta was um, and, and just the kind of experiments you were running and what you were trying to get out of that and how that ties into to this design thinking uh, principle. Yeah. 
So I think a couple of years, maybe three years ago, we went to uh, the AAM conference in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the talk that I went to was specifically talking about prototyping and testing with visitors and sort of opening up the process of exhibition design and development Mm -hmm. sort of to the front of house so visitors can sort of participate in that or be aware of it and see how we sort of come up with these ideas. (coughs) So when we came back, a bunch of us sort of pitched a couple of ideas that we were inspired by to sort of use within our museum here and this idea of a beta space was the one that sort of we all latched onto so we wanted to create like the end goal was to actually create a physical space that was there for all time and we would just go and use that as sort of an experimental space where we can essentially test weird anything at all any ideas relevant so before we wanted to before we had the space to do that uh, we started testing in different areas within the museum's um, galleries because we don't actually have gallery space that's left unused. Yeah, there's, there's, no always, there's always gallery space. Yeah, so we just kind of find little nooks and crannies <laughs> and sort of set up little tests and prototypes within there. And we tested tons of different things and we would spend, you know, two to three hours a day for three or four days a week and, you know, just engage with visitors. And, and the great thing that we found was that visitors more than they enjoyed participating in whatever we were asking them to do, they actually liked the fact that we were asking them, that we mm-hmm. had their best interests at heart and we weren't really being sort of this authoritative figure that said, this is what we're going to give you, this is how we'll design it, this is the topic we're going to display yep. for you. So it kind of opened my eyes that there is a demand for, for visitors to want to be part of the, the yep. sort of the co-creation process. So mm-hmm. I just now try to find ways to sort of do that as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, I, like Nina Simon's book came out in 2009, mm-hmm. uh, Story Museums. And I mean, you know, it's 2016 now, right? Like time flies, but we're, you know, we live in a world where we can't keep shoving content down people's throats. Mm-hmm. We need to have, you know, people want to be active, active participants in, in everything that we do mm-hmm. rather than, um, passive consumers so it's it's it was really interesting for me like I used to come down and and just kind of watch what you guys were doing and and you know people would be a little timid at first but then as soon as they started talking to you guys and find out what was what was happening and what was about they were generally you could see the excitement on their face that they were mm-hmm. gonna add their voice to a potential exhibition I mean you guys tested exhibition topics uh, interactives that actually went into our Pompeii show, mm-hmm. which was super cool. Um, we did, you did title that testing March for tattoo, yeah. for tattoos. Yeah. Title testing. Um, uh, you know, there was, there's lots of cool stuff that went on. I mean, how did you, you guys presented you and, and Courtney Murphin, who we had on the podcast in the first season, um, you guys did a presentation, I remember, for for a larger group on mm-hmm. on your your findings. Yeah. Um, was there anything that came out of that that you were like, "Wow, I had no idea that this would have been an answer that people would have given us"? Was there anything uh, surprising that came out of that? We or? found that people were really because they were able to contribute to an idea or a solution. They were actually more willing to come back to the museum and right. see how that unfolded and see mm-hmm. what their voice the impact their voice had on this process so i thought that was important because i wouldn't have guessed that that would have been an issue i'd assume people would have said okay that's great I, you asked for my opinion and you know then whatever. if it's something yeah. that is relevant to me i'll come back and check it out you know if it was a tattoo show and they were, found it interesting it might come back but otherwise we were asking questions about things that they might not have been interested in but we just pulled them in 
but they said they wanted to come back and see what the results were. So I thought it has has sort of a, a, a ripple effect essentially on sort of our visitorship yeah. in the end. Imagine that. Yeah, know, uh, and the, the whole asking people's opinions and and you know they want to come back and see if we yeah. actually followed up on on what they said. But we want it to be like we try the sort of the brand, if you will. Yeah. For for Ron Beta was to make it be an antithesis to what people would see in the insti- institution. So it wasn't sort of a finished and polished sort of installation. It was always meant to look temporary, ephemeral, yep. and just sort of uh, loosey-goosey, for lack of a better term. And mm-hmm. we wanted it to be very conversational. So it wasn't like taking um, surveys and asking people what their you know, annual income was and you know how, if they're married and all that sort of stuff. It was really just asking the person, like a person, yep. what they liked and what mm-hmm. they didn't like and why they didn't like it. So it was really important for us how we approached and engaged with the visitors versus just sort of collecting the data. Right. So one of the things that uh, I think has come out of out of Ron Beta and, and um, uh, is is really adding that 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 voice that visitor voice, the community voice within exhibitions. We've there's an exhibition on called Third Gender um, right now, and there's a little section at the end. I wonder mm-hmm. if you could talk about how that came about and, and why we're including uh, those two pieces in, in the end of that exhibition. Well, Third Gender is about, uh, it's, it's a Japanese print show that goes through the history of um, a group of young men that are called Wakashu. And it's, a, it's a, a, an exhibition about gender and sexual uh, orientation. Um, so it was primarily a historical view on that sort of aspect within a very specific time and region in mm-hmm. the world. So the last section was meant to be a contemporary look on, on sexuality and gender issues. So we have, you know, just a large map that sort of identifies different cultural um, historical references to sort of different gender and, and sexuality ideas. And then we had two other aspects where we want to sort of visit or create a conversation. One of them was just sort of a comment card wall where people can just leave their comments, which mm-hmm. has done really, really well. And the second one was something that I've always been interested in is sort of creating not like an art piece, but a sort of a visual installation that uses sort of visitor input to sort of create the outcome. So it's kind of like an infographic, but a more tactile, physical manifestation of an infographic. Yeah. Um, <coughs> so what we did was we just sort of, cr- you know, identified, I think, uh, I think it was 16 different gender IDs. And we allowed people to sort of self-identify themselves with these right. little round discs that were different colored. So if you're male, I think it would be purple. If you're female, um, you'd be white, I think it was. Or if you're gay, mm-hmm. it'd be pur- uh, pink. And then you would take that token and put it in this large glass wall display and create this sort of mosaic that sh- which should, would be representational sort of of the audience that would come right. through the show. So it, it, it was kind of twofold where it allowed people to sort of contribute to something, but it also allowed them to sort of illustrate the point that we're actually a very diverse and, and sort of multifaceted um, community and culture within the city specifically. Um, so kind of allow people to sort of stand back and look at sort of who we are as 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 a as people mm-hmm. ultimately uh, i mean th- was that we do a lot of community cons- consultation and and those uh you know those those gender uh you know those boxes mm-hmm. <laughs> that with with uh with the little tabs in them um you know you guys just didn't pick those out of a hat like no. that was that was done through like you were talking to people yeah we we had a, a advisory committee um 
of, I don't know, there's 20 people, and we also consulted with UFT um, Center for, uh, I forget the title of the, the group. Um, and they consulted, we consulted with them, and we asked which sort of would be the most common sort of gender identification mm-hmm. and sexuality things that we can use, and they just narrowed it down to, like I said, I think it was 16, but there's still a lot more there's that's lot, not yeah. used. A lot more than, than people would imagine. Than people would imagine. Even what yeah. we, like I wasn't aware of it. So this was actually a learning curve for, or a learning experience for me because I actually was now made aware that we're yeah. much more diverse than, you know, yeah. the, the simple. I, I I, yeah, I remember I remember <coughs> in the staff preview spending a ton of time in, in that section and just really thinking about, you know, how I identify myself and how other people's might, other people might identify themselves. It's, uh, it's a really, I think it's a really uh, poignant um, finish to that show mm-hmm. because the show is so challenging um, and then you get to this end and it makes you take a step back and, and really think it's um, yeah I think the whole show in general is really well done um, but it's great if you go like I sometimes just would go up there to sort of reset the boxes and everything um, and if you just watch people sort of interact with it there was once like a group of I think it was two women and a, a, a man they were probably in university and she, one of the women, was basically explaining to the other two the differences between all the genders and, and and sexual orientation things. So she was now educating the people she was with, and they were now thinking about themselves mm-hmm. and who they were. Um, and I thought that was really a, a sort of a nice moment. And then there was another moment where somebody on a card had written that they identified as bisexual. I think it was. But they said they haven't told anybody. So essentially, this person felt comfortable enough and sort of um, empowered enough at this moment in this exhibition to sort of tell the world, even right. though it was anonymously, mm-hmm. who she really was. Even though right. in her real life, it sort of it was a struggle for her. But I thought that was a really sort of strong moment to sort of illustrate how important museums can be sort of to allow people to sort of bring their voice to right. to to the world. Yeah. Um, you know, you say you go up there every now and again. What what do you take a pictures of, of the mosaic and uh, or? Does I've done it at the beginning, but now it's so it's, it's I underestimated how often people would use it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it gets filled up really quickly, and I think people when we get some of our high school groups, they just sort of go in and just really have fun with it. So it right. doesn't become really illustrative of our community because people actually just want to sort of. They want to play the game. They want to play the game, essentially. Yeah. And if, you know, they're, they're how they identify, if their tokens are sort of empty, they'll just take any of the other tokens and put it in. Because they just like the experience. And I think that's also another way to sort of think about things is people in museums like to sort of do something that's a little bit different than just observe sort of right. passively at things. Okay. So that, I think that's a good segue into um, this next uh, project that I want I want you to talk about, which I think is just just amazing. Um, you know, uh, my colleague I think she called it uh, museuming 2.0 um, the other day when we mm-hmm. did uh, when we did a little uh, video on it, but um, it's in uh, it's called in progress because the title hasn't been decided mm-hmm. yet, and uh, what you guys are doing is is basically building an exhibition live in a gallery space exactly. and this is kind of like a culmination of you know from Ra- the Ra- early days of Ram Beta um, to this this exhibition mm-hmm. so um, maybe you can just explain the backstory of that a little bit and, and tell people what, what's going on in the Levy space so the Levy space is a small little gallery that was originally designed for prints and it's right now situated between Japan, the Jap- Japanese gallery and the Chinese gallery mm-hmm. 
Um, so Chen Chen, the curator of that department, is, approached me and uh, asked if I wanted to sort of design an exhibition in that space, but with the caveat that I would sort of be allowed to select the objects and not sort of in a curatorial role, but sort of as a designer and how I would select objects for aesthetic reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was always an interesting thing that I always wanted to try to do and see how I can sort of use the objects in a way that was different than what a traditional museum would do. So mm -hmm. we were then assigned the project, I think, in sometime in May, April or May or something like that. And we kind of ran out of time because Chen's idea was that this would be an experiment from the get-go. And I had thought that th this being an experiment would be too soon for us to sort of, September was the opening date. We wouldn't have had enough time to sort of do a, a right. cool experiment that would yeah. have been finished by September. So I proposed that we, in September, instead of opening up a finished exhibition, we open up a rough concept version of that exhibition, something that we would have had done on paper and on whiteboards and, and with mood boards and in our meeting rooms and in our offices, but do it in a sort of full-scale version of it and put it out there in a way that is rough but kind of complete but not mm -hmm. completely defined. Um, and then we thought that would be a great opportunity to sort of engage with our visitors as a way to sort of help us refine the project that suits their desires, their curiosity, and their their ideas. Um, so right now, it just opened a couple of weeks ago, and um, it's doing like people are really gravitating to it, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of buzz about it. Even though we we really haven't announced it internally within the institution itself, it's kind of this yeah. hidden little exhibit yeah. that people are absolutely loving when they do stumble upon it. Um, so the exhibition itself has got five different cases. Each one has a different sort of theme that's associated with it. And my objective for this project was not only to sort of look at the process in which we create exhibitions and how, you know, who the team players are, but how we engage with visitors, but it was also sort of an experiment in how you can take objects within our collections and display them in a way that's not traditional, a little bit different but t allows us the way you dis display objects to tell different stories that might not be sort of traditional. Right. So mm -hmm. instead of a, you know being a story about uh, Ming China um, and vases or a specific artist, it's, it's now being inspired by Asian art and design and using pieces to sort of illustrate different types of stories. So mm -hmm. one, one case w is called um, the Ten Sons Fable case, and it's based on a, an old Chinese fable that where the sun, there were 10 actual suns that would rotate around the, uh, around the earth and they would take turns one at a time going around the earth until they realized they were bored and they wanted to do it together. So then okay. all one day they all sort of started going as a group of 10, at which point the earth started drying out, the, the, the rivers would sort of dry up, the animals would start to die of thirst. So the emperor at the time hired the, um, the god of archery to sort of take care of the sons and he wanted them all removed, all ten of them essentially. So when he climbed up a mountain and shot nine of them, leaving only one, which is the sun we have today. So this case kind of uses a whole different slew of, of objects within our collection, one being a, a sculpture of uh, an archer. And then from his, his outstretched arm, he essentially has a series of arrows that sort of shooting towards these ten circular objects, either being plates or, or bee discs. Mm -hmm. um, so we're using these objects to sort of illustrate these 
stories that existed in China for, for centuries. And so people can, they come into the space and they, and they, they look at this panel and, and then wh what happens? They say, you know, is there, is there a spot for them to vote on, you know, how you've done this panel or how does that, how does the public get involved? So within the center of the space, there's a, what I'm calling a hub where people sort of go to get information about the exhibition. And there's no text in there right now. We're sort of experimenting with minimal to no text and see how much information people want. But in the center, they'll be asked a series of questions like their, what their first impressions were on upon entering the space. So it's kind of like a word association. And yeah. then we'll ask them, you know, what stands out to them and why? Mm -hmm. So that we can start understanding what they're thinking about, what sort of what they're gravitating to. Mm -hmm. And then the second part of that is each case has a series of little uh, containers with different keywords like confusing or exciting or um, lacking or fulfilling or satisfying. So they will then take a series of tags and vote how they feel about each case. And then right. we'll gather all that data and information and sort of help, that'll help us evolve the next iteration of this, this gallery or this exhibition. Um, so between now and April's when this officially opens, we'll be doing two phases of testing. Okay. And ideally two phases of r refinement or upgrades based on the information that the visitors input for us. Cool. So uh, come down to the ROM soon and, and check that out. Uh, it's on the main level, uh, level one, in between the Chinese gallery and the, and the Japanese gallery. And, and, yeah. and it'll be basically testing until uh, the it opens in, in, in the spring yeah. uh, 2017. Cool. Um, thanks so much for, for sitting with us today and, and talking to us about everything design. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, they can find you on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you're at Emilio underscore Genovese, just how it sounds. Mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming people can find you on Google too. You probably have portfolios and things like Pro that. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, or, yeah find me on LinkedIn staff or something page. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so if you have questions, Emilio is easy to find online. Um, of course, I'm always easy to find online, but my Twitter handle is at WRDODGR, at WR Dodger. If you have any questions about this podcast, if you want to hear anyone special, just shoot, uh, shoot me a tweet. Let me know. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks, Emilio. Thanks. Thanks.